Ah, shalom haverim. We're still a, a minute out, and as I've mentioned before, I'm never quite sure to start a minute before eight, wait until eight o'clock, word gets out, people uh, start listening. So, thank you for joining me. And we still have a officially another minute another minute to go. Anyone that would like to co-host with me for next Wednesday night, please email rabbiblock at hotmail.com and I have a Zoom room. We can meet in the Zoom room, we'll pick a topic, we'll talk about how we're going to co-host and work together and what we're going to talk about. So I really, really would like someone to respond to my request to come on live with me and co-host. So far, um, no one has taken me up on the offer. So please... Our topic tonight is Talmud. And more and more I see quotes from the Talmud and it's really very gratifying to think that TikTokers are reading the Talmud. I would assume that they're doing it in English and not in the Aramaic or the Hebrew, but it doesn't matter to take an interest in this Jewish collection that is sometimes very, very cockamamie and convoluted, to say the least. So, what is Talmud? What is Talmud? Remember, Judaism doesn't have a pope or cardinals or bishops. There's no central authority that can speak for all Jews. Okay. If you would like, my official title is Chief Rabbi, Western Fairfax County, Virginia. Right, I'm the Chief Rabbi of Western Fairfax County, Virginia. So, who do I, what authority do I have? Only the authority of you, my viewers, people who write comments, people who follow me on YouTube or podcasting or TikTok, my authority lies in, in you. Judaism doesn't... Okay, someone just asked me to invite them to come on live. Please, whoever wrote that, email rabbiblock at hotmail.com. We'll go to my Zoom room and we'll set up some times and we'll discuss... Please, I want, you to, I want you to come on live with me next Wednesday. It's that simple. So without having a central authority, there is no one that can make statements that this is what Jews believe or this is what Jews are. What you're hearing or reading, uh, yeah, the Talmud instruction, that kind of is a neat word for it. The Talmud is commentary on what's called oral law. Now, a word about oral law. When I use the word law, 
we think of speed limits, shoplifting, manslaughter, homicide, and courts. Oh, dreams in Judaism. Yes, uh, I think we'll make that the topic next week, interpreting dreams. There were collections of customs, ceremonies, and traditions from the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Rebecca, Rachel, and Sarah. And these were called laws. And we don't want to be misled by the word, because like I said, our mind goes to an American, a French, a Chinese, a legal system with courts and police. This was common law maybe a better way to explain it. These were rules and regulations that the community decided to use to help guide them. Okay? And they these kept growing. One group is called Mishnah. But there are other groups of oral law that have other names. When the Jews found themselves in Babylon... Let's go 200 before the year zero up till 500 after the year zero. The rabbis start an academy. No, the Talmud doesn't. Yeah, I'm going to get to that question about some about statements about Gentiles and who's inferior, etc., etc. We really have to understand the nature of the Talmud to see where these comments are coming from. So in the academy the rabbis began discussing Mishnah, oral law, customs, traditions. Okay, it, at each session, someone was assigned to take notes. The notes are called Gomorrah. Okay, just a word for the notes. So you, the text starts off with a Mishnah or a statement of oral law. Then the rabbis begin to debate what it means, and someone is assigned to take the notes. Now, a good analogy would be, yeah, there's a difference between the, the, the Torah has a priority over Talmud, because Talmud's rabbinic discussion, as I'm explaining, in high school and college and graduate school, you belong to a study group, probably not in elementary school. You got together, maybe it was the same group for every subject, or maybe you had uh, one group that did every subject, different ways, but someone in the group took the notes and then passed them out to everybody, and someone in the group was assigned to take notes in class. And then we would discuss them. Think of the Talmud as class notes. Sometimes the person that we picked to take the notes was wonderful. And it was really easy to understand what they were saying and follow along the discussion. But sometimes the person taking the notes in the study group added things, put in what their mother said, grandmother said. Sometimes they put in things that they heard, nothing to do that went on in the class. And sometimes they totally misunderstood what went on. Okay? So that when you look at Talmud, for example, we, we recite 
prayers three times a day, Islam five times a day. Okay? Morning, afternoon, and evening. What is the appropriate time? What's the earliest and latest that one can say one's morning prayer, one's evening prayer, without becoming the next one? So the Gomorrah, the commentary, goes page after page after page of all kinds. And some of it you, you look at and you go, what were they thinking? I can't follow this. Or, eh, that sort of makes sense. It's hard to tell when the sun sets, when it's twilight, when the sun rises. And, and so you have these notes, and often in the Gomorrah, in the notes, it has the name of the, of the person who's writing them. Often, they'll, they'll write down the name of the person speaking. They'll say, oh, Rabbi Block said this. Rabbi Ben Svi said this. What we've discovered from the commentary on the Gomorrah, sometimes those rabbis didn't actually say those things. The scribe, if you want to call it the scribe, who is taking the notes that day in the academy, that person may have attributed a quote to a rabbi accidentally or intentionally said, oh, Rabbi Ben Svi said that, when Rabbi Ben Svi didn't. And sometimes it can be sorted out, scholars have sorted some of it out, other times, no idea. So, when you see someone quoting Talmud or talking about Talmud, it is commentary or discussion, and it's not binding on all Jews. It's only binding on those who want to be bound by it. Really, it's quite simple. The next thing we find that's fascinating is, think of the Talmud as TikTok, Facebook, Blue Sky, X, Twitter. No, the, and the Talmud is not continuously being updated. Around 500, it became so big and so much that it was decided that people would continue to write other commentaries on Talmud, but the the system of having an academy and then having the academy, the rabbis discuss it. And that makes sense because Jews were all over the known universe and they weren't centered in one place. What made the Talmud unique was that scholars were centered in Babylon and Jerusalem. So there's two Talmuds, a Babylonian Talmud and a Yerushalmi, a Jerusalem Talmud. These were scholars were centered there. And it was the nature of how things were studied. Very much like here in the United States, we have universities and academies, and they publish notes. No, you don't memorize the Talmud. It's too cumbersome, and the arguments are too cockamamie, too convoluted to try to memorize them. So if you think of the Talmud as Twitter, X, TikTok, I can say what Rabbi Block 
wants to say. It's not binding on all Jews. Now, you can quote me and say, well, Rabbi Block said this, or Rabbi Block said this about Jews. I'm thrilled. In fact, I'm honored if you would quote me. And my Hebrew name, I'm Rabbi Ben Svi. If you want to use, instead of Rabbi Block, you can use Rabbi Ben Svi. Talmud is more than just Bible commentary, but it's a, that's a good metaphor. It's like Bible commentary. Yeah, uh, Moody, please send me an email, rabbiblock at hotmail.com, and we'll meet in my Zoom room, and we'll talk about how we can co-host next Wednesday night. Please, I would love to have a co-host. It's not accurate or inaccurate. It's not heresy. It's the opinion of the scholars at the time. What makes it more complicated is the corrections lie in commentary. And the commentary has continued to this day. So if you find a passage in the Talmud and you go, what? What are they talking about? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It has nothing to do with Judaism. In fact, Judaism forbids having sex with minors. And so if you find a section that talks about sex with minors, you have to scratch your head and go, wait a minute. Are they talking about the population in Babylon? Are they talking about something of tribes that they heard? Are they pointing something out because they didn't want Jews to get sucked in and start doing some of these things. So we have to ask ourselves a lot of questions when we come across something that we know is not consistent with the prime directives in Judaism. Bekuach nefesh, to save a life, is a prime directive in Judaism. Mm-hmm. There are certain acts that one would die rather than do. It's a historical database of thoughts, neatly put. And if you, you go to Safaria, which is, means library, I think it's safaria.org, the Talmud's translated into English. So is the Mishnah, so is the Midrash. It's a phenomenal, more books than I ever could own or owned. So I don't have a very big Jewish library. I use Safaria. They've digitized. Much of it's in English. Some of the more obscure works are still in Hebrew or Aramaic. So it's out there. You can look it up. You can go look up Talmud. What we're looking at it's not, yeah, hearsay would be uh, unsubstantiated. It wouldn't hold up in court. Because of that, the Talmud never gives a conclusion. The Talmud always gives a majority view and the minority view. There'll be a discussion, there'll be some kind of a debate, there'll be a vote. But the Talmud doesn't take a stand. 
which sometimes is very frustrating and annoying because often we like when Pope Francis issues an encyclical, an official statement. And we want to keep in mind that Hebrew was considered a sacred language and for many Jews throughout the centuries, one should not use Hebrew except for studying Torah. However, there are very few groups like that left. For most of us, Hebrew is a language. These documents were written, and this is another point that's important. It's like Shakespearean English or Middle English, if you like. So when you read some of these sections, it's not modern Hebrew. It's not even the equivalent of Shakespearean English, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. It goes back further if you want to take the English language as our model. So that adds to one of the difficulties in understanding what's being said because the individuals are writing in the language that's 2,000 years old. Vocabulary has changed. Look, think of English from two or three years ago, five years ago, last week. Sometimes when I read something or a 2,000 years ago, Aramaic was the spoken language. Hebrew was reserved for prayer and study. It, it wasn't, and Jesus spoke Aramaic. And when we hear what's called the Lord's Prayer, when I've had occasion at interfaith weddings to recite it, I recite it in either Hebrew or Aramaic. I can make a case for either one. <clears throat> Jesus, if he wanted to be, use the vernacular, would have spoken the prayer in Aramaic. But if he wanted to make it a more formal prayer, he would have recited it in Hebrew. And so there's, you can argue both ways, but there's no way to reach a conclusion. So we have this document that discusses all kinds of oral traditions, and within the discussion, everyone's opinion is there. And even opinions that weren't there because, let's say I'm the scribe. Rabbi Ben Sphi is taking notes today. And I start, you know, I put in a recipe for homentashen. And I got sidetracked and the conversation wasn't it. And sure enough, what happened was whatever was written down stayed in the Talmud. And therefore we have sections and paragraphs that unless a later commentary could tease it out and, and then tell us some of the things we're not sure if it was actually discussed or not discussed. Yeah, the, there are, the Talmud says things that we would consider unsavory, that we would consider ridiculous, rude, wrong. 
And that's because the scribe, the, I don't give me the word for the, the person taking notes in a study group. I keep using the word scribe, but um, Mashiach ben David is, is mentioned in, in the Talmud, but not taken seriously. There's nothing disgusting to say the Talmud disgusts you. Um, you haven't read the whole thing, so how can you say that? The person taking the notes, there was no one checking or revising them or rewriting them. So things were misunderstood. Things were written in that weren't discussed. Someone all of a sudden started discussing that they heard that some people were having sex with animals. Remember, this is in Babylon. There's all kinds of stories and rumors. There's pagans. All kinds of things are going on out there. So, yeah, record keeper or historian, someone just said. So the record keeper, the historian. Someone says something about someone was having sex with animals. And all of a sudden, that becomes a topic of discussion. And now we have page after page of this having nothing to do with Judaism other than, well, here, look at TikTok. Look at the number of videos that appear. Look at the language. Look at actions. Look at people in various stages of undress. And we wouldn't say, oh, that's how uh, Japanese people live. Or that's how the people in China live. Or that's how the people in Montana live. We wouldn't say that. We would look at TikTok and shake our heads and go, I don't know why they put that on. That just represents those people. The origin of what? The sentence was cut. Oh. I have a question. What's the Jewish perspective about the historical critical view on the origin of? Yeah, I saw some things on on Twitter. And there are some sections of the Talmud that are beautiful. The section on torts, the section on property, the section on you borrow something from me and you it gets broken. Or I go on a trip and I, I leave my Australian shepherd with you to take care of and the dog dies. How do we handle that? There's some wonderful, beautiful sections about interpersonal relations. So I don't want to dismiss the whole Talmud. What I want to do is put it in proper perspective. Yeah, Judaism comes after the tribe of Judah. That's where the name comes from. But I'm a Hebrew. Hmm. I'm a Hebrew. Hebrew meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those Hebrew meaning those that came from across the river and settled in the land. That's what the word means. Like a Hyksos, Hebrew, a Hebrew. Um, one of my medications, subcutaneous bleeding, nothing serious. I know, you're noticing my hand, so 
you've you've seen this before when someone takes blood thinners that you get subcutaneous bleeding which purely arbitrary it's not harmful and you've seen it i'm 78 and you've seen it in a lot of people younger than i am and so that's where it comes from someone else just said they would like to come live with me please send me an email we'll meet in my zoom room and we'll talk about next wednesday night and what our topic will be so the Talmud has these great sections with responsibility of person to person. What's my responsibility if I see someone gets hurt? What if I see someone being chased by someone else? What's my responsibility? So there are huge sections of Talmud that are helpful. And a lot of American law is right out of the Talmud. Because the rabbis discussed social responsibility and ownership and property and life and liberty. And so when American jurists put our legal system together, they went to the Talmud. And that could be a whole other discussion, if you like, would want to bring some lawyers on board to show directly almost all American law of torts comes right out of the Talmud. Almost all of American law about property and ownership comes out of the Talmud. And all a lot of it was just theoretical. The rabbis, being philosophers and rabbis, were discussing these things. And so, if you want to Google American legal system Talmud, you want to Google where does where did the our system come from? you'll find it online. And that's a topic beyond what we're doing here. And the Talmud isn't law, however, because it's not a country, we didn't vote on it. It's rabbinic discussion. If we were, these things were to happen. What the rabbis wanted to do was give us some guidance in our interpersonal relationships. So that if I buy your car, what's my responsibility? Now, obviously, they didn't talk about a car. They talked about a, a cart or a horse or a donkey. But they're talking about acquiring something. What is my responsibility if I decide to dig a hole in front of my property and someone falls in and breaks a leg? You know, we have a law called an attractive nuisance. If you put a refrigerator out in the curb, you have to take the door off. Because you, if you leave the door on, it's an attractive nuisance. And someone, a child or maybe an adult, would get locked inside and suffocate. It's right out of the Talmud. Right out of the Talmud. Responsibility for your animals, your ox, your goat, your dog, your cat. Someone to heart, someone to heart, please email me, rabbiblock.com, and we'll co-host next Wednesday night. We'll meet in my Zoom room and talk about it, okay? Oh, that's very nice. Someone said if you had a university, I would attend. Well, this is Rabbi Ben Svee's TikTok University, so consider yourself enrolled. 
and a student. Remember, I'm also on YouTube. The channel is called The Rabbi and I. And my podcast is called The Rabbi and I and The Wisdom of Rabbi Block. So, getting back to... Yeah, there's a Gomorrah about attractive nuisance, but I don't think they use the word. That's a new modern word. What they talk about is if you dig a hole and someone falls and breaks a leg, or you put something out in the public way and someone trips over it, or you leave an object and someone picks it out and drops it on their foot. That's discussed in the Gomorrah. Can't tell you where, though. You'll have to Google that. Go to Safaria and try attractive nuisance. Maybe that'll show up. Remember, Judaism developed as an Eastern religion. Judaism is related to Hinduism, to Buddhism, and to Taoism. Think of what we call it the Middle East. And a lot of times we focus on the Judaism as it turned west and became more of a western religion, but the roots of Judaism lie in the east, in Hinduism, in Taoism, and Buddhism. The Talmud provides very deep discussion of things that are mentioned in the Torah. So if you're interested in minutia, more detail, more discussion, to, to try to help with an observance. The Talmud also is a time capsule. It contains history and it contains events leading up to. So if we want to know what people did two, three thousand years ago, we can find it in the Talmud. That's the job of the rabbi is to teach Yes, Kim Oxen, why don't you join me next Wednesday night, meet me in my Zoom room, send me an email, I'll send you the link to my Zoom room, and we can see, do we want to do Talmud? Do we want to pick, pick a particular Midrash? Do we want to pick a, a Jewish law? What do we want to do? That's why I want to meet with whoever I'm working with before, so that we can uh, get our, our ducks in a line. I don't even know where my ducks are. Never mind putting them in a line. Um, During the Babylonian exile, the rabbis realized that they were influenced. And let's keep that in mind. Just park away when you read something that Judaism is an Eastern religion. Well, We'll have to continue next Wednesday night live. Our, t- our, it's, our 30 minutes have evaporated once again. And uh, please, I want to thank you for joining me and following me. And let just, let's continue our discussions. Lila Tov, have a good night.